Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. It's great to have your company. Um, community radio needs supporters, needs listeners. And what we've got to say over the next hour might surprise you, or it might not if you're politically savvy. Um, we'll be talking about statistics. We'll be talking about how whenever we talk about the rights and wrongs of the world, the goods and the bads, the, the way you should go or the way you shouldn't go, someone at some point, although less and less truth to tell in, in the sort of right wing sphere of the world, um, they'll give you some statistics. And so there you go. That's the reason why we're going where we're going. Now, we're the dogs, so we are the defenders of government schools. And when it comes to defending government schools, statistics are sometimes usefully at the key for those people that are willing to listen. But they can be used one way or the other. And so our press release today by Jean will be dealing with these strange things called statistics and how they're used to bolster the case. Damn lies and statistics. Yes. That's the, that's the, the word, isn't it? Yeah. I think the entire phrase is there's lies, there's damned lies, and then there's statistics. Um, well, there's good statistics and there's interesting statistics. Yeah, and Jean's going to help us navigate that with her press release. Um, we'll be talking about the fundamental problems of resourcing. That is, we live in a country, a civilised country called Australia, and we're supposed to be civilised. And one of the fundamental premises of living in a civilised country is that you have some people, if they're wealthier than others, that's great. But if you don't have that much money, then you deserve certain things from the country in which you live. You expect certain things from a country that you live, as a right, actually. That's part of participating in a representative liberal democracy and one of those things is an efficient and effective and accountable education system to send your kids to um, one that's not just rubbish one that's not doesn't have leaking roofs one that you got kids sitting in portables in 40 degree heat wondering how they're supposed to be learning mathematics um, because the distribution of wealth across australia um, is broadening the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer or indeed many of them are just standing still which functions as the same thing if you have inflation um, but in Australia, we now have an education system which is bifurcated into one for the rich and one for the poor. And there are other countries around the world which do this as well. Um, most notably, we'll be talking in detail about another country that separates out its children into rich and poor, and that's India. And often we don't talk about India because, you know, we talk about the OECD, but India is a rising economy, um, and we're talking about how wonderful they are buying our coal, I suppose. But the Indians have an education system, and the Indians, um, or people from India, 
um, and there's a vast number of, of different groups of people who live in India, value education. And in a little tiny place called Delhi, um, which is not actually that tiny at all, um, the local government has decided to do something about this problem of inequity in education. And in a period of five years, just five years, they've turned it around such that the poor kids' schools get better marks than the rich kids' schools. And I'll be reporting on that, uh, thanks to the BBC correspondent from India, a lovely fellow who's written a wonderful article called um, Suyuk Biswas, um, who is the um, reporting from Delhi for the BBC about what they've done with their education system. But I'll be comparing that with what we do here in Australia. All things are possible. Comparing that with what we do here in Australia. Because in Australia, we fund our private schools to an extraordinary degree. And whenever you ask, um, the answers in the end aren't about the statistics. The answers are, well, that's just the way we do things around here. So stop asking awkward questions. So we'll be reporting on those things for the program. And, of course, we'll be finishing off with our great state school. But, of course, I have promised you, and I must deliver on my promise, so after these couple of messages, you're going to get the full force, the full Radio 3CR dog's force of Gene's press release. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Imagine if students all across Australia started to call for their schools to declare a climate emergency. That's what some of the biggest names in the youth climate movement are now striving to achieve. Join the National Climate Emergency Summit for a student workshop facilitated by some of Australia's leading young strategists as they help students create a roadmap for getting schools to declare a climate emergency and advance serious action on climate. Friday the 14th of February at 2pm. Go to climateemergencysummit.org for more information. A 3CR supporter. Well, here we are once again with our press release. This is press release 827. The Statistics Battle in Australian Education. Now, listeners, I'm not a, a statistics nerd. Ray Nielsen was that. But um, it's reached the stage where I've had to put my mind a little bit around figures. And I hope that you can um, follow me. Because the right-wing empire has finally fought back on the statistical front. Trevor Cobalt and his fellow researchers from the Save Our Schools organisation, this is a think tank that has the interests of public schools as their interest, they have provided figures from official sources which have indicated that federal government funding of private schools has in many cases surpassed government funding of public schools. They've been doing this for some time. 
and their figures have been taken up by the Fair Funding Now group from the Australian Education Union, which was very active in the last election. And quite amazingly, a lot of these figures have gained coverage in the mainstream media in the last year or so. So what is Trevor Cobalt saying? He had, in June 2019, an article called The Facts About School Funding in Australia posted on the blog of John Menadou, which is a very interesting blog, and a lot of his figures have been taken up by The Guardian and even the Fairfax 9 news media, much less so in, of course, The Australian but sometimes even the Australian Financial Review have looked at his figures. And in this 29th, 24th of June article, he pointed out the income disparity between public and private schools has widened in the years 2009 to 2017 substantially. He points out that the total real income per student in public schools fell $58 per student but increased by 1,888 or 17.8% in Catholic schools and by 2,306, 15.1% for independent schools. Now, the figure that he is using is the total government funding, state and federal. The Commonwealth funding increase for private schools was over double that for public schools in that period 2009 to 2017 and every state throughout Australia cut the funding for public schools. And several cuts were very large, as in Western Australia and the Northern Territory. And the average state funding for public schools was cut by $577 per student, at the same time that the state governments also increased funding for Catholic schools by $112, or 5.7%, and $113 for independent schools. So, according to Trevor Cobald, public schools were really getting it in the neck from both governments, federal and state, and independent and private schools, uh, Catholic schools, were doing very nicely. Thank you. And these figures were getting through to the general public. And people were looking at the resources of public and private schools and saying, yes, yes, these figures make sense. But the Centre for Independent Studies, which is a right-wing think tank, has fought back. What are they saying? They're questioning the figures. They say that public schools have been faring better than private schools as their funding soars. And what are their figures saying? They are saying that Trevor Cobalt is only looking at the nominal amounts and should be looking at percentages. And they have only taken the federal funding figures up to 2018. And they haven't said, actually, what the, um, the time position is. Blaise Joseph, the Education Policy Analysis at the Centre for Independent Studies, in the Financial Review of the 4th of February in the last week, said that instead of the total amount, the more significant figure is the rate of increase. Now, we'll let our readers read the figures from Save Our Schools and the Centre for Independent Studies and make up their own mind. 
The Centre for Independent Studies has taken an official report on government services in education, which was released last Tuesday, and they claim that in 2018, Canberra spent $2,387 per student a year in government schools, and that compared with 1825 a decade ago. So they're taking it from 2000 and 10 to 2018. And they claim that those figures indicate an increase of 55%. Notice they're not looking at CPR or anything like that, just ball figures, and they're saying that represents an increase of 55%. And they have excluded any capital grants. Well, the capital grants, of course, have gone to private schools, not to public schools. In the same time, federal funding per private student went up by 43% to 8,479. So they claim there's been an increase in government fund, in federal government funding of public schools of 55% and the increase to the private schools they claim is only 43%. The Centre for Independent Studies asserts that percentage means more than nominal amounts. Well, I'm not sure that when you get your money in the bank from being paid, you're interested in the percentage. I think you're interested in how many dollars are in your bank account, but that's neither here nor there. They claim that there's been no real cut to government school spending in the last 10 years, and if government schools are underfunded, the states are to blame. Well, that's not entirely untrue. The states have been cutting back their funding, but um, we're still dealing here just with federal funding. Now, the most worrying aspect of the trend in Australia, they claim, is that the, despite these what they call massive levels of funding, which they claim is now running at $1.7 billion a week from all levels of government, the international and the domestic tests show a collapse in student results. So they are not blaming the government and their funding arrangements. They are just saying we are spending far too much money. No one is standing up for the taxpayer, they say. Now, if that's the case, and if the percentages are the most relevant statistics, dogs note that if you put what the federal government is giving a government school pupil in 2018, which is $2,387 per student, and you put that over the 8479 which they are giving to a private school student, that means that for Mr Morrison and his government, a government school pupil, a public school pupil in Australia, is worth 28% of a private school child. So there you are. If we're going to deal with percentages, let's deal with percentages. But the dog's position is that statistics are never enough in an argument about the education of the next generation in a democracy. Dogs suggest that, as in America, the crocodile tears for the taxpayer are usually usually shared by corporate citizens whose bottom line is the take-home profit, these specious arguments from the Centre for Independent Studies can be identified as mere rhetorical assertions 
from Disruptors and Deformers of Public Education. I'm sorry about that very, very long sentence there. So I hope you're following my argument. Because these kind of arguments, that they're spending too much money on education and not getting the right results, have been used in America by the people who are called now the disruptors and the deformers of public education. And they're being used in the United States to prepare the way for privatisation of public education for private, for-profit, charter schools as well as denominational schools in that country. So uh, dogs say beware of specious arguments from these kind of think tanks and do the research and the thinking for yourselves, especially when specious statistics go alongside very, very interesting arguments and crocodile tears for taxpayers. Thanks very much, Jean. You've been to the Dogs Program here on 855 on AM Dial. Um, Jean, what you're saying is that if, if, if state schools got a dollar and then you gave them two dollars, then in percentage terms you've given them a 100% increase. But if you were giving $1,000 to the private schools and you gave them an extra dollar, well, then the increase obviously is one-tenth of one percent. So percentages are, in fact, exactly not the way to deal with these particular issues because they are so deliberately misleading. Now, the figures you were giving is from you know, 1,500 to 2,000. Um, you didn't actually give the figure with two from for the private schools, but if it ends up at $8,000 and it was a 45% increase, I'm sure it started around about $4,000. So if you look at the actual numbers for the... Um, for the state schools, it's about 500 bucks of taxpayers' money, yeah. and it's around about 4,000 bucks for private schools of taxpayers' money. So I actually think that um, percentages are not the way to look at it in these contexts because it's a boldly different scale um, in terms of money and funding, bearing in mind that the results that you were talking about, something I'm going to be discussing um, after the break. <laughs>
Welcome back to the Dogs Program. A bit of calm and to cheer us up and get us going again. Um, I was saying before the break, I'll talk about the results that Jane was talking about. The results I was talking about were school results. Um, what's going on in our schools? Uh, there is an assumption behind everything that's going on in Australia at the moment that we are bottoming out in the education oh, marketplace. No, in the world, there's a planet. We're one of the planets. We're one of the, we're one of the countries on the planet. Um, and of all the countries on the planet, we are not doing well educationally. We used to, in comparative terms, but now no more. Um, Trevor Cobold has actually written a very interesting article just a few days ago from his website, the Save Our Schools website, that's sos.com.au. Um, and he says, new data from the OECD's program for international student assessment, that's the PISA study we often talk about, so the Australians allocate more and better quality teachers and physical resources to socioeconomically advantaged schools than disadvantaged schools. That is, we as a country decide to give all the good stuff to the kids that have already got the good stuff. And the kids that haven't got the good stuff, well, they don't get any more. Right. Now, of all the companies on countries, I should say, um, on the planet, um, there's different clubs. And one of the clubs is the club of the richest countries on the planet, and it's called the OECD. Um, and there's 36 countries in this club. And when we go out there and find out how we're doing, we compare ourselves um, to the richest 36 countries, um, the OECD. And the highest performing countries in the OECD when it comes to education generally all allocate resources um, much more equitably between low and high secondary, you know, secondary schools in particular when it comes to education. That is, if you are born without much money in your family, it doesn't really matter when you get to school. When you get to the school gate, you walk through school, and whether you're rich or poor makes no difference. And the countries that have successful education systems almost universally make sure that that's what they provide for their citizens. And equality of opportunity is usually defined as the level of social mobility um, from the poor to the rich or to the middle uh, in that society over a period of time. Yes. But at a micro level, there's different ways of measuring inequity, and some of them I think are quite surprising. So when you think about a rich school and a poor school, you go, oh, well, you know, one's got shiny things and one needs polishing. You know, but low socioeconomic status schools in Australia have much more teacher shortages. Like, the teachers won't go there. They have more teacher absenteeism. That is, when they get there, they don't hang around or they take more days off. Um, and they have more poorly qualified teachers. They have fewer fully certified teachers and fewer highly qualified teachers than the schools which um, we can just talk about, the schools that the rich kids go to. Now, I'm not really talking about public schools and private schools here, although public schools and private schools, that division, there are no private schools in Australia in the low socioeconomic group. There are, however, some public schools which are in the high SES group. So this isn't strictly a divide, but I can tell you right now, and Trevor will highlight that there are functionally 1% of private schools um, are assessed as low socioeconomic status schools. So it's 1%, so functionally almost none. Now, teacher resources. There are very large differences in teacher shortages, poor, poorly qualified teachers and teacher absenteeism between low and high SES schools. 
About one-third of students in lower SES schools have their learning hindered by the fact there aren't enough good teachers, or aren't enough teachers. And also the teachers they have are often first out, um, and so they're, not, well, they're poorly qualified, but they're certainly poorly trained. And teacher absenteeism, that is teachers just taking days off, are compared to less than 7% of students in high schools. So that is to say about one-third of students in poorer schools are affected by this, and 7% are affected by it in high SES schools. Now, teacher resource gaps in Australia are amongst the largest in the OECD. So this is now where we talk about comparison with, with, with the club that we're in, the OECD, the club of rich countries. Now, the gap between the proportion of students in low and high SES with shortage of teachers is the equal fifth largest in the OECD for being taught by inadequately qualified teachers is the sixth largest in the OECD. The gap for teacher absenteeism between rich schools and poor schools is the third largest in the OECD. We almost win that one. The proportion of highly qualified teachers in low SES schools is the fourth lowest. So we have functionally in Australia developed a dog-eat-dog education system with all money flowing from taxpayers. Almost without exception, the six highest performing OECD countries have much smaller gaps than Australia in allocating teacher resources between the low and the high SES schools. Now, low SES secondary schools in Australia have fewer poorly qualified education materials. Let's just get to talk about the stuff they're working with. Textbooks, lab equipment, instructional materials, computers. And in Australia, there is a 20% of students in lower SES schools have their learning hindered in this way hindered by lack of functional resources. 1% of students in high SES schools, so 20% to 1%. Low SES schools have less and poorer quality infrastructure, such as buildings, classroom space and heating, and cooling systems, which become increasingly important in our changing climate. Nearly half of students in low SES schools have their learning hindered in this way. Nearly half have their learning by the fact that the buildings and the classrooms and the heating and the cooling ain't working. 8% for the higher SES schools. So, yeah, we live in a changing climate. It affects us all, but, of course, it affects the poor so much more disproportionately. Now, the physical resource gap are amongst the largest in the OECD. The gap between the proportion of students in low and high SES schools with learning is hindered by a lack of educational materials and poor quality education we are the seventh worst in the club that we're in, in the OECD. The gap for lack of physical infrastructure, that is the actual buildings being a fit for purpose, is, well, we almost win that one. We come third, we're on the podium, we are the third largest for having a big gap. And the qual poor quality of physical infrastructure, that is the absolute rubbishness of the materials, that go into the building and the buildings themselves in, in the poorer schools. We, we, we don't win, but we're very close. We are the second worst in the OECD. This is Australia we're talking about. I'm not talking about Peru. I'm not talking about Hungary. I'm not talking about some other almost third world country. This is just with the rich countries club that we're talking about here. Australian governments are effectively discriminating. We knew about this uh, back in 2008-2009 and you might remember when there was the meltdown, the, the, the um, 
the, the mess created by the people of the 1980s, Julia Gillard and Kevin Rudd spent money on infrastructure and the first thing they started to spend it on was public schools and there was an uproar about the way it was being spent. Indeed. So Trevor Cobalt um, basically says Australian governments must take a much more active role in promoting a more equitable allocation, teacher resources, buildings and materials. Yep. And if you do that, you will, guess what, improve what our education systems are doing because that's what the winningest countries are doing already. So you look at what the winningest countries are doing when it comes to education and you do what they do and you go, well, let's just, let's just sort out these gaps. If a child walks into a school with the buildings uh, that are, well, now derelict, that tells them what the government thinks of them. And that also tells them how they should treat their education because if they have to walk into that every day, then they give the process the respect that they think it deserves. Now, I'm going to step out of the OECD. I'm going to step out of the Rich Kids Club and I'm going to go to a place called India. In India, this place called Delhi. It's very large and there's a very large number of people in it. And what they're doing with their education system is really worth sharing because they have listened to the advice of the dogs. They have listened to the advice of the PISA study. They have. And in five years, just five years, they've done some extraordinary things in one of the poorest places on the planet. Gecko is an independent, grassroots environment organisation based in East Gippsland that has campaigned to protect the remaining forests of the region since 1993. Kungra Survives is a film fundraiser with all funds raised going to Gecko to survey fire affected areas for ongoing forest conservation. Kungra Survives, Cafe Gummo, 711 High Street, Thornbury. Sunday the 16th of February from 6pm. $10 unwaged, $15 waged and $20 solidarity. For more information head to goongrasurvives.net, a 3CR supporter. The Celtic Folk Show is moving to a new time slot. So tune in every Tuesday at 3pm, starting on Feb 18th. Serrated tussock is an noxious weed that has impacted our farmlands and environment across Victoria. Similar in appearance to many native tussock grasses, serrated tussock may go unnoticed in both pastures and native grasslands for many years. Victorian Serrated Tussock Working Party has assisted hundreds of landholders to control this noxious weed and they can assist you by offering a wide range of information and management options for controlling this weed of national significance. Visit serratedtussock.com for more information. A 3CR supporter.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and on the WWWs. It's great to have your company here. Um, if you're interested in what we've been speaking about so far and also what's yet to come, you can contact us at our website www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But before the break, I was promising I'd tell you about what's going on in Delhi. It's really interesting. And I'll, I'll be quoting you from a BBC report that came out a few days ago by Sutik Piswas, um, who's the India correspondent for the BBC. And he writes that um, Aravid Kawad, uh, Kajawari, so please, uh, please, please, please accept my apologies for my pronunciation. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, the chief minister of the Indian capital in Delhi made an impassioned plea to voters in an election campaign meeting for re-election. They said... We've worked hard to improve our schools, the education system. Who will take care of the education of your children if you vote for any other party? Just give it a thought, he said. Now, India's populist politicians don't usually talk about schools and colleges in stump speeches. That is, education reform, they believe, doesn't fetch votes because results take time and voters appear to be keener on more immediate outcomes. Today's politics wants instant results, says Delhi's education minister, Marish Sisioda. Now, Mr. Um, Kedgewell's Aram Army Party, which is the AAP, is a regional start-up political party. So just in the region, it's seeking a second successive term in power in Delhi. Now, Mr. Kedgewell wants to prove populist politicians are wrong. He's made education the centrepiece of his campaign for re-election. His government's performance in education, along with health care, is an unusual campaign plank and a consistent headlight maker. Now, the AAP, his party, swept 67 of Delhi's 70 assembly seats five years ago, landslide, and hopes to repeat this performance on the 8th of February, largely on the back of the performance in education. Now, Mr Kedriwal has much to crow about. His government, just the regional government, runs 1,000 schools, government schools, attended by more than 1.5 million students. Education is free. In five years, he claims his government has succeeded in a way none of his predecessors have. His main rival from the BJP party, led by the Prime Minister himself, uh, Mr Modi, um, the BJP has been running a bellicose counter-campaign on a controversial new citizenship law, uh, the stripping of Kashmir's autonomy, and the building of a grand new Hindu temple. In other words, it's mostly about assuaging majority Hindu sentiment and promoting muscular Hindu nationalism. But back to, back to Mr Kedriwal. Um He's ploughed nearly a quarter of his government's $5.8 billion budget into education. This is the highest in India and appears to have spent the money wisely. His predecessor in Delhi spent up to 16% of the budget in education and Indian states on average spend about 15% of their budgets on education. Investing heavily in education has helped change the gloomy image slovenly and badly run, of state-run schools in a teeming city of nearly 20 million people. The assumption was only poor children go to public schools. Sound familiar? The rich and the middle class prefer to send their children to private schools. 
said um, Ms. Sharma, an education advisor to uh, Mr. Kejiwal. Anything free in India is perceived to be substandard. But this year, Mr. Kedriwell's schools, mainly attended by the city's underclass and children of poorer migrants, have outperformed their more expensive and posh counterparts. Some 96% of the 12th class students from state-run schools passed the school leaving exam, compared to 93% for private schools. Now, such results have received estimable praise, most recently from Nobel Prize-winning economist, um, the um, economist, Mr. Uh, Barenji. Now, education reforms are usually messy, but Mr. Kejival's government appears to have chosen simple initiatives to achieve a significant turnaround. Classrooms have been renovated. Toilets were scrubbed regularly and playgrounds cleaned. Yep, here you go. Students and parents alike have welcomed a controversial decision to put CCTV cameras in classrooms to monitor children. Smart-looking desks have been purchased, digital learning environments, the libraries have been stocked. They now have functioning science labs and special theme-oriented classrooms have helped make the once dowdy schools attractive physical places for learning. Government schools, says M. Sharik Ahmed, principal of a modern school, uh, a model school, one of Mr. Kejimal's schools, have now become very liberating experience for students who come often from very stressed backgrounds. Selected teachers have been sent on training and leadership courses. So, facilities, fix that up. And I just right now, and I, I hate to come out of Mr. This, this wonderful article, but I'm referring back to what's happening in Australia. Teachers taking time off because they can't cope and in rubbish classrooms that don't work. 50% of kids being affected by it in Australia in poor schools. But here, once he's fixed up the playgrounds and the toilets and the classrooms and the materials, he turns to the teachers. Selected teachers have been sent on training and leadership courses at the National University of Singapore and the leading Indian business school. Others have travelled to Finland and Cambridge in the UK to study school systems. More than 200 mentor teachers sit in classrooms and give feedback on five schools under their watch. The curriculum has been tweaked imaginatively. Classes on happiness and business motivation have been introduced. Mega parent-teacher meetings are held in schools several times a year, encouraging interaction between illiterate parents first-generation learners and teachers. There's also been a substantial expansion of the capacity to cater for a growing number of students. 34% of Delhi's 4.4 million school-going children attend government schools and their numbers, unsurprisingly, are now going up. By the end of the year, Delhi should have 55 new schools and around 20,000 additional classrooms. Now, that's the good news. There is, of course, cultural problems that might impact what's going on, and it's probably worth talking about those because these cultural issues can become quite interesting for us in Australia. Because here in Australia, our cultural issues are, oh, no, it's really stuffed up and, and the poor kids get nothing, but that's just the way it is around here, mate. So give us our money because we're 
private schools. Yeah, so we have our own culture, but in India they have their own problems. Now, the language of instruction in most schools is Hindi, with one English medium, medium section in every class. Last year, more than a 1,000 children scored more than 90% marks on um, a bouquet of five subjects, a first. A whopping 473 students cleared an intensely competitive exam for admissions into India's top engineering and architecture schools, up from 150 in previous years. There's been criticism about some of the teaching methods in Delhi's government schools. The most contentious is separating. Critics call it segregation, performing and laggard students are by putting them in different classrooms. Last year, education activist Kusim Yain went to Delhi court challenging Mr Kejiwal's government to explain why students were segregated based on ability. She said, segregation on the basis of intelligence is wrong at a time when we should all believe in inclusive education. Now, Manis Chard, who works as an intern teacher in the government school, says the ability-based segregation of students has led to more divisions among students. He found some teachers in his schools calling students by the names given to the groups, and sometimes the better-performing students refuse to study or play with their non-performing peers. This worried me a bit. Such exclusion defeats the purpose of peer-to-peer learning. But some teachers defend the system and say it's actually helped improve results. Students, they say, are separated into different sections on the basis of their reading and numeracy skills. Several independent surveys have found that Indian school children's reading and writing don't match the class they are in, um, but found that nearly 73% of children in a class, um, class 3 could not read class 2 lessons. So one of the problems of not segregating is you don't get the specialist attention you need if you need to catch up. There are other challenges. More girls, 53%, go to Delhi state-run schools than boys, 47%. And most of the girls choose humanities. On the face of it, there's nothing wrong about this. But dig deeper and you find that the parents' motivation for sending their daughters to free government schools often reveals a deplorable gender bias. Many of them simply do not want to spend money on educating their girls. They would rather spend their hard-earned money on sending their boys to private schools where they enrol them in science and pay extra for coaching classes so that the boys can ace the exams. Now, in the hard-scrabble neighbourhoods of Delhi, in the northeastern parts of the city in particular, 16-year-old Marisha Connie, daughter of an out-of-work tailor, lives in a grotty one-room hovel. She goes to a government school and wants to become a businesswoman. I want to do better than my father, she says. That's what my school is inspiring me to be. This is actually possibly the most exciting change Mr Kedjewell's schools are bringing about. They are helping the poor to dream. So I just think what they're doing in Delhi and India, and despite the cultural factors and the issues that I think are worth highlighting, is the opposite of what we're doing here in Australia. We're just very happy. Our cultural issue is, oh yeah, that's just, that's just the way it is, mate. Yeah, if you've got the money, you send your kid to private school. If you haven't got the money, damn you, I don't care. You know, this is what we did in the 19th century. We learnt all these lessons in the 19th century. It's just that our leaders are determined to take us back to the 18th century with a British-style caste system. I think this is the worry. If you take the long, long view, uh, India is doing what... We did here in Australia, our forefathers did in, us, in Australia. They learnt these lessons and they did the right thing by their 
their children. Uh, but unfortunately, now in Australia, we have unlearned these lessons and we are being unto, we are being asked to unlearn these lessons. Well, I'm sorry, here at the dogs, we do not wish to unlearn these very, very vital lessons. You've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and we'll be back with our great school after these messages. Goongara Environment Centre and Wildlife of the Central Highlands have started an email action for the threatened Greater Glider. Over 25% of the glider's habitat has been burnt in the fires and 90% of areas set aside for protection by the government last year have also burned. Yet their habitat is still being logged in the Central Highlands. Go to gecko.org.au to send an email to government ministers to call for protection of all remaining Greater Glider habitat. Kungara Environment Centre Office is a 3CR supporter. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit. Our education is not for profit. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Every week on the Dogs Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools school are great of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. This is our great state school segment where we highlight one of the schools around Australia, which is a government school, a state school, um, which is doing wonderful things. Now, I want to go all the way back to the beginning of the program when Jean was talking about statistics and money. One of the things that all these private school advocates say, oh, you know, state schools get lots and lots of money. Here's this big pile of money. It all goes to all these state schools. But there's one thing that private schools don't do. Private schools do not deal with the truly poor, with the truly needy, with the people in this country who have true problems and need them to be sorted out by all of us. I'm talking about people with intellectual disabilities. I'm talking about people with physical disabilities. And these people are young people and they deserve an education. And to educate them costs. Costs a lot of money. And I'm really happy to pay it. And the private school system wants nothing to do with it because there's no money in it. And, yeah, it would be nice to do it as a charitable act, and there's a lot of religious charities I know that do a lot for people with disabilities. But when it comes to the, the, the nuts and bolts ensuring that they get their human rights, which are, functionally, from our point of view, education and dignity, dignity through education, then it is the government school system 
which pick this up, and the schools that do it are truly great. I want to talk about a place, not in the cities, I want to talk about a place that's out there at the, in Bendigo. It's the Bendigo Special Development School. And it works. Fundamentally, the thing it says about itself is we don't, we don't work as a school. We work as a group of people who work in partnership with the parents and carers of these kids and the community. And we provide each of these students with an individual education program which will maximise the opportunity to improve what it is they know. Give them an education. The school provides an education program for students aged 5 to 18. Okay, and that's when they get big. That's when they get difficult. They're not cute anymore. Um, they are people who are respectable citizens of this country and deserve an education, and it is the great state school system that provides it. And you can't get into this school unless you've got a moderate or severe intellectual or physical disability. The class groups are 5 to eight, five to 11 in size, and each class has four or two to four staff members in each room. The structure of the school involves the four units of early years, middle years, later years and specialists, including arts, health, phys ed, music and therapists. Units have budgets, coordinators, regular meetings and representatives. So they've broken it up, which I think is a great thing, because they've broken it up in a way that reflects the needs of the parents and the carers and the kids. Now, 50% of the kids in this school come from a background from the poorest families in Australia, in the lowest quartile of Ixia. 25% come from the quartile above that. That is to say, 75% of those kids come from families that aren't rich. No, there's no, um, there's no chairlifts in the houses these kids go back to, put it that way. 5% are Indigenous and 77% come from a background other than English. Now, we get to the question of this is a great state. I mean, just functionally it's great because it's doing what it does because it has to do what it does because that's what's required of us as a civilised society and there's only one system that can do this and that's the state system. It costs $48,000 per kid per year to keep this thing going. Good. Good. That's a lot of money. Okay? The whole school costs over $6 million to run each year. And the school has a total of 123 kids in it. So actually, if you look at what's, think about what's going on, that's a lot of kids. And it's a lot of money. And this is going into the statistics that Gene was talking about. You know, this is just, from, from the point of view of the Centre for Independent, this is just a normal state school. But this is about as non-normal as you get. It costs a lot of money, and so it should. How do the kids do? How do the kids do in NAPLAN? Who cares? Um, I don't care. And if you care, you're an idiot. Because um, if you don't, if you know anything about education, you know anything about education in a situation where students with intellectual disabilities are being educated from the ages of 5 to 18, it's about what that human being can be taught by those four people in that room on that day. And there's only six or eight people that know the answer to that question. Four of those are in the room, and four of those will be part of their support team at home, their parents or their carers, or indeed sometimes just their friends. And that's who you should be looking at too to find out how much these kids are learning and whether they're being lazy or whether they're being, or whether, or whether they're caning it. 
Um, nothing to do with NAPLAN, which so I'm not going to report on that. But I am going to say that the Bendigo Special Development School, which is actually out at Kangaroo Flats, not in Bendigo at all, it's out there in the bush. Pretty amazing place, I have to say. Um, you are our great state school for the week. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State College. schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. State Sunshine schools. North Primary They're School. really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. You've got, like, you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got vis- physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into this Outdoor school. play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that he's actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive great relationships with each other, with teachers, and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Well, that's it, I'm afraid. Exciting episode. We had so much information talking about stats in India and the stupid vagaries of our federal government, but also finishing up on, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you to our great state schools that we out there at Kangaroo Flat. You really have nailed it, as far as I'm concerned. It's what you do that keeps us going. It's what those teachers do. Mm. It's what those parents do. It's what those carers do around those kids that keeps me going. And actually, that kind of bit makes me a little bit tingly proud to be Australian. I pay taxes for that, and I'm very happy. But that means that I come from a country that's worth listening to, a country that's worth being in. But if you need to know more about what we do you can at www.adogs.info or you can contact us at the 3CR website 3cr.org.au until next week it's bye for now I dreamed I saw joy last night alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe. But I ain't dead. 
the copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. On to organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your Joe, you're ten years dead. 